Blog Talk Radio. And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio! K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. Thank you for tuning into the K-I-R-P Radio show. That's Keeping It Real with Pudgy Miller. I am your guest host as usual, last Fridays of the month. I'm your guest host, Rocco P. Thank you for joining. 
It's Friday night, April 24th, 2020, in a very new type of America. I'm calling tonight. Uh, please call in tonight. Uh, if, uh, if you'd like, I will get you on the air. Uh, that number to call in is 619-638-8559. 619-638-8559. Tonight, the show is called Exposing the Manufactured Coronavirus Crisis. Exposing the Manufactured Coronavirus Crisis. We're going to dig into some of the numbers to expose why I believe it's demonstrably evident uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt that this crisis is manufactured. Uh, this crisis is manufactured. In other words, what we're experiencing is a government intelligence psyop at a national and international level. Uh, this is, yeah, it's just a massive amount of deception and distortion. Uh, many people don't want to believe that. And part of the reason being that they can't believe that you know the government could work with the media. They believe uh, they believe it. Uh, they believe they they are separate. Uh, the fact is, uh, you could go back to the church committee hearings in the early 1970s. Uh, that was a fascinating number of hearings that were set up by then Senator Church, and they looked into a number of uh, a number of incidents in U.S. history, including the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And no one talks much about the Church Committee hearings. Among other things, the Church Committee concluded was that, in all probability, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated as a result of a conspiracy, and there were at, at least two shooters. Of course, no one was brought to justice. But back then also, during the church committee hearings, hearings, they discovered that the CIA was intimately involved in the news media. So this was the early 70s. So just let's fast forward to 2020. Do you think that ever stopped? And, uh, and, of course, I would submit, no, it's far worse. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, consider, let's step back and consider just the magnitude of what's occurred in the United States since President Trump and the state governors have declared a state of emergency. Just step back and consider the magnitude of what's occurred since President Trump and the state governors declared state, states of emergency. Since, that, since those proclamations, no public assemblies have been allowed, and that effectively means no public protest, no corporate worship. I had mentioned before, I'm, I'm not going to go in, uh, into detail in the Bible tonight, but the definition, the Greek word for church is an assembly. Sometimes it was used in a secular context of an assembly. But the word church, ecclesia, means assembly. So a church that doesn't meet isn't a church. So let that sink in also that the vast majority of conservative, evangelical, and fundamental pastors in this country have let the government dictate that there will not be a church as long as the government says so. 
they can't meet. Church that doesn't meet isn't a church. And that means, among other things, that there will be no baptisms until the government says so. That means, among other things, there will be no communion until the government says so. And the vast majority of pastors in this country have accepted that tyranny, the vast majority. What else has, has occurred since since the declaration of a national and state emergencies in this country? The government has decided that if you're not considered by the government to do essential work, you can't earn a living. This is, this is unprecedented in, in the states, this level of tyranny. If the government has decided that you do not do essential work, they decide what essential is, then, uh, then you are out of work, period. You can't work. Again, there is, there is no basis, there is absolutely no basis in the Constitution for that to be the case. There's none whatsoever. There is none whatsoever. Yet that is what's happened. That is, uh, that is what we are, that's what we're, uh, we're living through. Consider the same government that claims that, that they're doing all this is the same government that endorses baby murder through abortion. To, to me, the hypocrisy is so intense when I hear Andrew Cuomo, the dictator of the state of New York, pontificate about what people can and can't do in New York State. It's the same guy who celebrated the fact that in New York State, in New York State, if a baby comes out of the womb alive, but the mother didn't want to be alive, that baby could be murdered. That's the same governor. The same governor. We've been told... We've been told by the likes of the President of the United States, as well as Dr. Fauci, that we may never be able to shake hands again. We're told that we should, we were mandated to do what they call social distancing, which is keeping six feet apart from everyone else. If you may have noticed, if you go out of your house, it's rather impossible to shop like that because there might be a plexiglass barricade between you and the person behind the counter, but you're not six feet apart from them. And most of those barriers aren't complete anyway. So that is part of the PSYOP or the psychological operation that they are having us, attempting to have us do things that we cannot do. They're attempting to have us do things that we are not able to do. We've uh, we've been told that uh, that if things are going to get back to normal, it's not going to happen for 12 to 18 months. They're not going to go through all the statements, all of the uh, the miscalculations. I'm going to deal with some, a lot of the hype and numbers to dissect those numbers to prove demonstrably this is a manufactured crisis. But what we're seeing is that. In a very short period of time, the government has ripped apart the social fabric of the country. 
they violated the federal constitution, they violated the state constitutions, and what we're being told if things are going to be normal, then uh, it's not going to be until a vaccine is approved in 12 to 18 months. And yeah, if you didn't get the memo, the agenda is very clear. They're going to push, and Bill Gates, Bill Melinda Gates Foundation has pushed this for years. They're going to push for a mandatory vaccination. They would like to have us then tracked in real time through the smartphones that the majority of the people have allegedly to keep people safe. Said allegedly, allegedly because the same government that, that rejoices in abortion. Even your most diehard Republican that opposes abortion will not interpose. They will not simply use the rights of the states to just say, okay, it doesn't matter what the federal government says through any Supreme Court decision. And the Supreme Court decision doesn't make law, incidentally. I hate to say that, but it doesn't. They've lied. Uh, they can make a decision. Congress would have to make the law. But all you need is, is one governor of a state say it's not going to happen here. It really is that simple. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Just look at the federal laws against marijuana that increasing numbers of states completely ignore. That's all needs to be done. It's called interposition. Some people call it nullification, but the better word would be interposition. The state then interposes against the tyranny of the federal government. So even the most diehard Republicans will refuse to do that. They absolutely refuse to do that. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to play a video. It's uh, by Ram LeBull Emanuel. Ram Emanuel, if you may recall, wore a lot of hats. Uh, he was President Barack Hussein Obama's, a.k.a. Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro. Uh, he was his first chief of staff. And he was part of the real elite, the real the real deep state. Now, why do I say that? Goldman Sachs, he was making well over $20 million a year. There's not too many people that make that type of money. So when he became Obama's chief of staff, uh, he wasn't getting a pay raise. It was about power. But in this interview, it goes back to 2008, he says something, and I'm not saying this just because he's a Democrat. This represents the elite's position, whether Republican or Democrat, in the two-party system. This represents how they view crisis, how they view crisis. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things that you think you could not do before. I think America as a whole in 1973 and 1974, not just my view, but obviously the administration, missed the opportunity to deal with the energy crisis that was before us. For a long time, our entire energy policy came down to cheap oil. This is an opportunity, what used to be long-term problems, be they in the healthcare area, energy area, education area, fiscal area, tax area, regulatory reform area, things that we had postponed for too long that were long-term are now immediate and must be dealt with. And this crisis provides the opportunity for us, as I would say, the opportunity to do things that you could not do before. The good news, I suppose, if you want to see a silver lining, is the problems are big enough that they lend themselves to ideas from both parties for the solution. That is also, and it's, there's not, we didn't just do the meeting 
with Senator McCain and Senator Lindsay. The President did not elect to not have that meeting just for optics. We covered very serious issues as it relates to spending reforms on government approach. He brought the idea of uh, defense, uh, defense procurement. We have brought the idea of his corporate welfare commission. But how to spend money different because it's not an argument about big government versus small government or more effective government. So you actually are getting your bang for the buck that the taxpayers and all those who put money into it expect, whether that be in the area of education or health care. The five reforms that we see, uh, one in health care would be in the area that deals with cost control as a principle and expansion of coverage. Energy with both independence and alternatives. In the area of taxes, fairness, as well as simplicity. In the area of education, there's got to be fundamental reforms there as it relates to uh, making sure that we are effectively training the workforce. And I'm glad to see that the, one of the number, of, I think your second principle, is an educated, tra trained workforce. You cannot be in an era of where you earn what you learn and have both our education system from K to 12, as well as our access to higher education, and I'm not just talking about four-year, but also community colleges, that needs a fundamental overhaul that is the bridge fundamentally to the future. And lastly, financial regulatory overhaul with the principles of both, uh, I would say, uh, transparency and accountability. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And that was the same man, Ron LeBull Emanuel, who stated before Obama was in office that anyone on the no-fly list should not be permitted to have a gun. What was the no-fly list? Remember that? That was an abomination that occurred after 9-11 during the George W. Bush administration, where they basically said it was a secret list, like the American Stasi put it together. And if you were determined to be on the list, they never disclosed how you would get on the list. They never disclosed how you could get off the list. Then you couldn't fly. So you may just show up at the airport and then be declared a suspected terrorist. And then Ron the Bull Emanuel said, well, if you're on that list, based upon secret evidence that you might be somehow connected to terrorism, you shouldn't have a gun. Never let a crisis go to waste. And this crisis we're living through is largely manufactured. It is largely manufactured. Why do I say this? Uh, we'll, we'll, look at, we'll look at the numbers. Uh, we're going to look at the numbers. You may be familiar with the official site uh, housed at Johns Hopkins University. And uh, now I'm not a fan of Johns Hopkins University. If uh, you know, there was a, uh, <laughs> an exercise, so to speak. I don't think they called it a conference. Uh, a few months before the actual outbreak of coronavirus, where they basically uh, had a dry run and a fake exercise hosted by Johns Hopkins University and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They said, what would happen if there was a coronavirus pandemic? And then after it happened, uh, the official response was, well, what we had simulated wasn't this coronavirus. <laughs> in any case, you look at the numbers in the states tonight. Uh, I have it pulled up, the CDC numbers are officially housed at Johns Hopkins University. So you go to coronavirus.jhu.edu backslash map. Total confirmed, they say very authoritatively, total confirmed cases in the United States now 890,524. 
total confirmed cases, total confirmed cases, total confirmed cases in the United States, 890, 524 in large red letters. Total deaths, 51,017, 51,017. Now, let's, let's, let's consider those numbers. Number one, what determines if someone's confirmed with COVID? How is that determined based upon the test? In other words, is the test, the, the tests that have been used, is that are the tests when someone gets tested and is basically told you are, you do have the coronavirus. Okay. Are those tests accurate? Number one. Number two, is the death count correct? What do I mean by that? You might think, well, if someone's dead, they're not alive. No, of course. This is, this is what I'm getting at. Of those 51,017 deaths currently reported by, Johns, by the CDC house at the Johns Hopkins site is this. Of those deaths, deaths, how can it be determined that those deaths are due to the coronavirus? Let me back up and talk a little bit about the numbers out of Italy. There's some, some horrifically high numbers out of Italy that, helps, that helped really uh, generate a lot of fear in the states in Western Europe. There's a northern Italy, and what were some of the facts going on in northern Italy? Well, first off, if you drill down where there's been a lot of the deaths, you know, northern Italy then, uh, New York metro area, there's a really serious problem with air pollution. But more relevant, even more relevant than that, in Italy, over 80% of those who allegedly died of coronavirus, say allegedly died, it's not that alleged that they died, the cause, the alleged cause being coronavirus, over 80% had two serious medical pre-existing conditions. They had two serious medical pre-existing conditions. So if the average age was uh, 82, 78 to 82, and you already had tuberculosis and COPD, uh, it doesn't take that much, then yes, a, a flu virus could kill you if you throw that, throw that in the mix. However, the death numbers, sad to say, are being radically distorted to give the people the impression when they hear these, de when they hear these numbers every night, total confirmed, total confirmed cases, 890,524. We'll look at the test. We'll look at the test in a moment. The deaths, total confirmed deaths, 51,017 in the United States. You know, they'll give you the count from the states. Okay, back up, back up. Prove that those who died, died due to coronavirus. I, I think you can grasp simply what I'm saying. If someone already has emphysema or tuberculosis and then they get the flu, they didn't die merely due to the flu. That's one factor. Okay, the do you, do you really, can you simply appreciate that? It really is that simple. I'm going to p play part of, uh, part of a video by a medical doctor, Dr. Annie Bubasek. Dr. Annie Bubasek in the great state of Montana. And she is, uh, I believe she's a member of Chuck Bowen's Church Liberty Fellowship there in the Flathead Valley in, uh, in Montana, Kalispell. And she's going to give her very professional opinion as a doctor as far as what's involved with writing a death certificate and what we're seeing. 
In the case of my patient's father, did an accurate cause of death matter? Not really. But today, when governments are taking, making massive changes that affect our constitutional rights, and those changes are based on inaccurate statistics, it does matter. There's a U.S. standard for death certificates that includes a line for immediate cause of death, followed by two to three lines of antecedent causes giving rise to the immediate cause, then one to two lines of other significant conditions contributing to the death but not causally related to the immediate cause. For an example, immediate cause of death, sepsis, antecedent cause, pneumococcal pneumonia, other significant conditions, COPD. Okay, let's combine the information I've given you so far about the guesswork involved in filling out death certificates and apply it to COVID-19. The analysis that follows requires the presupposition that in today's medical climate, many, if not most, patients sick enough to be hospitalized will be checked for COVID-19. It also requires an understanding of what we know at this point, that most people who test positive for COVID-19 have mild or no symptoms. Therefore, testing positive for COVID-19 does not mean a person is sick with it or if the person died, that they died from it. To drive this home, we need to understand how the CDC and National Vital Statistics System are instructing physicians to fill out death certificates related to COVID-19. Brace yourselves and please pay attention and let what I'm about to tell you sink in. The assumption of COVID-19 death can be made even without testing. Based on assumption alone, the death can be reported to the public as an, another COVID-19 casualty. The March 24, 2020 National Vital Statistics System memo states, and I quote, the rules for coding and selection of the underlying cause of death are expected to result in COVID-19 being the underlying cause more often than not, end of quote. The CDC report of cases in the U.S. memo from yesterday states the death numbers are preliminary, quote, and have not been confirmed. So, quote, the results are preliminary and have not been confirmed, end of quote. It's from the CDC website. Here's a, a quote even more laden with meaning. Stephen Schwartz, National Director of the Division of Vital Statistics, says in answer to the question as stated in the organization's COVID-19 alert, quote, should COVID-19 be reported on the death certificate only with a confirmed test? Check out his answer, and I quote from this memo of which I have a copy, quote, COVID-19 should be reported on the death certificate for all decedents where the disease caused or is assumed to have caused or contributed to death. Certifiers should include as much detail as possible based on their knowledge of the case, medical records, laboratory testing, etc. End of quote. I'm sure you all feel so reassured the government is asking doctors to provide their very best guesswork. Not. Fact, quote, 
COVID-19 caused death, end of quote, and, quote, assumed death by COVID-19, end of quote, are not the same thing. And for those who died from something else and had an incidental finding of COVID-19 positivity, dying with COVID-19 is not the same as dying from COVID-19. I'm almost done, but want to clarify the process with another patient example. This is something that could happen commonly. It's not a specific patient I'm thinking of. Um, let's say it's a sick patient who goes into respiratory arrest at home. He is intubated at home by EMTs. They put a tube down and start to help him breathe. He's taken to the hospital by ambulance, put on a ventilator in the ICU, put on antibiotics for presumed sepsis, given IV fluids because his blood pressure has bottomed out. The bacteria pneumococcus is found in the blood and sputum cultures. Pneumonia is seen on the chest x-ray. Despite the staff's best efforts, he dies two days after admission. Like I said, this is not an uncommon scenario. The patient was found to be COVID-19 positive and the doctor has the option of listing on the death certificate that COVID-19 is the immediate or antecedent cause because the doctor theorizes that COVID-19 contributed. Either way, it goes into the data bank as caused by COVID-19. To reiterate, if a patient tests positive for COVID-19 and dies from another cause such as pneumococcal sepsis, it may be considered accurate to say that person died with COVID-19, not from COVID-19. Yet the CDC guidelines list as one more, they list this case as one more COVID-19 death and they go to the next questionable death. They label that as COVID-19 and it goes on and on. You could see how these statistics have been made to look really scary when it is so easy to add false numbers to the official database. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And there you have a patriot doctor, Annie Bubasek, in the great state of Montana, and they're attempting to demonize her in that state. Let's talk about the testing. Let's talk about the testing. Again, you go to the CDC's John Hopkins site, which houses the official CDC, CDC stats, Sensor Disease Control. Again, you see that big red number. Total confirmed cases, 890,524. What are the tests that are being used? What are those tests that are being used to confirm those cases? What are those tests? It's the PCR test. It sounds very official. The polymerase chain reaction, PCR, polymerase chain reaction. That's the test that's being used. And incidentally, the vast majority in Wuhan, China, had no test symptoms in China and said, oh, it's coronavirus. But here we have this PCR test. It's, it's very official. Sound, it sounds official, PCR. It's three letters. Sounds very official. I'm going to quote from uh, independent investigative reporter John Rappaport. I highly recommend his site, nomorefakenews.com. Yes, he was talking about fake news before the current administration for years, no more fakenews.com, and I'm going to reference a piece he wrote or published on April 8th this year. Corona, creating the illusion of a pandemic, of a pandemic 
through diagnostic tests. Corona, Creating the Illusion of a Pandemic Through Diagnostic Tests by John Rappoport, R-A-P-P-O-P-O-R-T, nomorefakenews.com. All right. The widespread test for the COVID-19 virus is called the PCR. He wrote about that in past articles. Now let's go to publish the official literature and see what it reveals. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The admitted holes and shortcomings of the test are devastating. From, he quotes, CDC 2019 Novel Coronavirus 2019 NCOV Real-Time RT-PCR Diagnostic Panel. Quote, detection of viral RNA may not indicate the presence of infectious virus or that 2019 NCOV is the cause of evasion for clinical symptoms, end quote. Translation, a positive test doesn't guarantee that the COVID virus is causing infection at all. And I'm reading the lines, maybe the COVID virus might not be in the patient's body at all either. Like it might just be a different flu strain. From the World Health, or- World Health Organization, quote, Coronavirus disease, COVID-19 technical guidance, laboratory testing for 2019 NCOV and humans, quote, several assays that detect the 2019 NCOV have been and are currently under development, both in-house and commercially. Some assays may detect only the novel virus, COVID, and some may also detect other strains, for example, SARS-CoV, that are genetically similar, end quote. Translation, some PCR tests register positive for types of coronavirus that have nothing to do with COVID, including plain old coronas that cause nothing more than a cold. The WHO document adds a little piece, protocol use limitations. Optimal clinical specimens for testing have not yet been validated, end quote. Translation, we're not sure which tissue samples to take from the patient in order for the test to have any validity. From the FDA, LabCorp COVID-19 RT-PCR test, EUA summary, accelerated emergency use authorization, EUA summary, COVID-19 RT-PCR test, Laboratory Corporation of America. Quote, the SARS-CoV-2 RNA COVID virus is generally detectable in respiratory specimens during the acute phase of infection. Positive results are indicative of the presence of SARS-CoV-2 RNA. Clinical correlation with patient history and other diagnostic information is necessary to determine patient infection status. The agent detected may not be the definite cause of disease. Laboratories within the United States and its territories are required to report all positive results to the appropriate public health authorities, end quote. Translation, on the one hand, we claim the test can generally detect the presence of the COVID virus in a patient, but we admit that the agent detected on the test by which we mean COVID may not be the definite cause of disease. We also admit that unless the patient has an acute infection, we can't find COVID. Therefore, the idea of asymptomatic patients confirmed by the test is nonsense. And even though a positive test for COVID may not indicate the actual cause of disease, all positive tests must be reported, and they will be counted as COVID cases regardless. 
from a manufactured PCR test kit elements created diagnostic SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus multiplex RTQ-PCR kit. Quote, regulatory status for research, for research only, not for use in diagnostic procedures. End quote. Translation, don't use the test result alone to diagnose infection or disease. Oops. Quote, nonspecific interference of influenza A virus, H1N1, influenza B virus, Yamagata, respiratory syncytial virus, type B, respiratory adenovirus, type 3, type 7, perin influenza virus, type 2, mycoplasma uh, pneumonae, chlamydia pneumonae, etc. Translation, although this company states the test can detect COVID, it also states the test can read falsely positive. Patient has one of a number of other relevant viruses in his body. What is the test proving then? Who knows? Flip a coin. Application qualitative. Translation, this clearly means the test is not suited to detect how much virus is in the patient's body. I'll cover how important that this admission is in a minute. Quote, the detection result of this product is only for clinical reference, and it should not be used as the only evidence for clinical diagnosis and treatment. The clinical management of patients should be considered in combination with their symptoms or signs, history, other laboratory tests, and treatment responses. The detection results should not be directly used as the evidence for clinical diagnosis and are only for the reference of clinicians." End quote. Translations. Translation of that, don't use the test as the exclusive basis for diagnosing a person with COVID. And yes, this is exactly what health authorities are doing all over the world. All positive tests must be reported to government agencies, and they are counted as COVID cases. These quotes from official government testing sources torpedo the whole scientific basis of the test. And now I'll add another lethal blow. The test has never been validated properly as an instrument to detect disease. Even assuming it can detect the presence of COVID virus in a patient, it doesn't show how much virus is in the body. And that is key, because in order to even begin talking about actual illness in the real world, not in the lab, the patient will need to have millions and millions of the virus actively replicating in his body. Proponents of the test assert that it can, measure how much virus is in the body, to which I reply, prove it. Prove it in a way it should have been proven decades ago, but never was. Take 500 people and remove tissue samples from them. The peepers will never know who the patients are and what condition they're in. The testers run their PCR and the tissue samples. In each case, they say which virus they found and how much of it they found. All right, in patients 24, 46, 65, 70, 87, and 93, we found a great deal of virus. Now, we unblind those patients. They should all be sick because they have so much virus replicating in their bodies. Are they sick? Are they running marathons? Let's find out. The obvious vetting of the test has never been done. That is an enormous scandal. Where are the controlled test results in 500 patients or 1,000 patients? Nowhere. The test is an unproven fraud and therefore the COVID pandemic, which is supposed to be based on that test, is also a fraud. But what about the sick and dying people? What are they sick of? And then 
John Rapport says, I've written a thousand words answering that question in past articles. A number of conditions, none involving COVID and most involving all traditional diseases, are making people sick. Which, again, would agree with the, uh, uh, the real data that's out there, like uh, the uh, horrible air pollution in New York City and Northern Italy, the age of the people that are dying, and the fact that they have serious pre-existing medical conditions, things like emphysema, tuberculosis, COPD, and then they get the flu or a bad cold, and they die. John Rappaport, nomorefakenews.com. Going to take a break. We're going to look at some more of the numbers to further completely devastate this manufactured crisis to expose it for what it is so you understand how much they are lying, the level that they're lying. And hopefully understanding that will make a change in how you view things. You listen to KRP Radio Show, Keeping It Real with Poggy Miller. KRP Radio!
KIRP Radio! You're listening to KRP Radio Show, keeping it real with Pudgy Miller, guest host Rocco P. Last Fridays of the month. I'm talking about exposing the manufactured coronavirus crisis. Two numbers to keep in mind. Two numbers to keep in mind. You go to the official fear mongering site, uh, the stats released by the official Centers for Disease Control of the United States of America, housed at Johns Hopkins University coronavirus.jhu.edu backslash map. You see total confirmed cases, 890,524. You see total deaths, 51,017. Two numbers we're talking about. The problems, those two numbers. Number one, number one, number one, the testing used for the total confirmed people. Test means nothing. PCR test, as I just mentioned, means absolutely nothing. The other number, the deaths, highly inflated, because, because the vast majority of people that are dying, allegedly from coronavirus, not allegedly dying, there's people dying allegedly of coronavirus, have other pre-existing conditions, not to mention the age. If, if weren't running a massive psyop and they weren't doing this to destroy what's left of our liberties, it'd be very simple if they cared about the public and they don't. Make no mistake about that. They don't. They don't care about the public. If so, abortion would be illegal, among other things. Uh, if they cared about the public, it'd be very easy. You would. You'd basically make a public service warning. There'd be nothing mandatory, no draconian measures, no idiocy about wearing gloves, wearing masks, no idiocy about staying six feet apart from people, which is physically impossible if you want to go shopping. No idiocy about not getting your hair cut and the government deciding you can't earn a living. None of those draconian, tyrannical measures. Be very simple. Public service announcement in a free state. If you believe you're at risk, please take appropriate measures during the flu season to protect yourself from others as you go about your work, your, your business or your work, because certain other people may be infected. If you already realize that your immune system is compromised, be extremely careful. That's really it. Instead, instead, we're moving towards a high-tech police state. And of course, it's been the work for years. It's been the work for years, usually what happened after 9-11. But I digress. The two numbers that, again, were exploding, numbers of those infected, and the numbers of those who have died. Uh, think about this too, because they, they work on the uh, they work on the the uh, mortality rate. In other words, they want to give a lot of weight to basically how lethal allegedly the coronavirus is how lethal it is, how, how, how deadly is it, okay? So what you'd do if you had real numbers is you'd say, you'd isolate those who are actually infected or have been, everyone who has been infected, which is a different number. You know, those who have been infected, we're going to get to that, is including those who are infected versus the deaths. And the deaths, again, the death number would have to be uh, clarified and shaved down to those who actually died of coronavirus and not of multiple conditions, all right? You look at the entire population of the United States, here's a simple way to look at, around 330 million, 
So if that death, if that death, uh, the, those numbers death, then uh, if that's right, what, what does that come out to? Okay, that's of the entire population, 0.014% then died. But again, the death number is inflated. So it's, not, it's, it's much, much lower than that. The flip side of the coin on this we'll get into is when you consider those total number confirmed. On the one hand, the PCR test is meaningless, as I said. It's absolutely meaningless. It's trash. It means nothing. And those in Wuhan, as I said, the vast majority were tested for nothing. They looked at symptoms and said, oh, you got coronavirus. Somehow they knew that it wasn't a different flu strain. But the reality is far, far, far more people are infected. There's numbers that have come out in Germany, numbers that have come out in the United States of America on the West Coast. We'll look at those numbers that show far more people are infected. And that makes sense because only a tiny amount of people have been tested. According to this, the official CDC stats, housed at the John Hopkins University site, uh, 4,692,797 people have been tested in the United States. Okay. And that's still not a whole lot, again, with 330 million. But then the tests are meaningless if it's a PCR test, as we've already shown uh, demonstrably. So the PCR test is, is beyond worthless. So everyone has been saying, when I say everyone, objectively people have been saying there's got to be tons more people infected. Because even the mainstream media, even the corporate government-controlled media, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CNBC, uh, ABC, all, everyone has always said that they want to stress that the vast majority of people it's just not going to do anything to. So tons and tons and tons of people have been infected with something, okay, with seasonal flu and or this COVID. So when you factor that in, and we got some clear numbers again I'm going to get to, then the, lethality, the, the mortality rate is even lower. It's real simple, okay? Right now, again, I'm looking at the official stats are saying total confirmed 890524. That number is probably low, by it's probably about 20 times higher. Okay. Now, again, for argument's sake, that number, the 890,524, means nothing because it's based upon the PCR, which is a trash test. But for argument's sake, let's say it's real. Let's say it's real for a moment. The actual rate of those who have been infected and are infected according to legitimate stats, when you look at antibodies after the fact, it's a whole lot higher, about 20 times higher. So then when you factor in the lethality rate, the actual mortality rate, you look in the percentage of those who died based upon how many are infected, then it's even wimpier. I mean, we're talking at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is less well under, you know, this is well under, well under, well under 1% if you want to look at real numbers. Again, it will be impossible to get precise real numbers because of the manipulation. But the antibody tests at least say these are people that have been infected, not those who are infected, at least past tense. It's huge. Numbers are huge. So that with that math alone, the mortality rate is far, far, far lower, far, far lower than what they are saying. I'll get to some statistics here. With a source, the Sanford study, Stanford University, projected a mortality rate from the coronavirus of 0.12% to 0.2%. In early March, the World Health Organization found that the mortality rate from COVID-19 worldwide was 3.4%. This is a really huge 
gap between 3.4% mortality rate. In other words, 3.4% would die. The World Health Organization was saying 3.4% of those who were infected with COVID would die. Stanford says 0.12 to 0.2. And I, I, again, I would say it's even lower based upon the fact that we know that they're manipulating the death certificates up. Okay, But saying you know, 0.12 to 0.2%. The mortality rate, here's that piece I just quoted, that quote I just uh, read, that's from Washington Times piece. It's from Washington Times piece. I'm going to read from uh, a site here. This was an interesting article. It's from southfront.org, southfront.org, and it's COVID-2 mortality is distorted. All right. Look at some German numbers. Mortality rate. Uh, based on the total number of infected people in the ganglit community in Germany is approximately 0.37% based on preliminary data of the study. The mortality rate based on the total population in ganglit is currently 0.06%. A group of authors from Stanford University School of Medicine, University of Southern California, Health Education's Power Inc., the Compliance Research Group, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at Stanford University School of Medicine, Bogan Associates, ADRL Biopharma Inc., Sports Medicine Research and Testing Labs, Department of Epidemiology and Population Health, Stanford University School of Medicine, Department of Medicine, Stanford University School of Medicine, measured the seroprevalence of antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 in Santa Clara, Cal, Santa, Clara Cal, Santa Clara County in California and made some conclusions. The data received the conclusions of the U.S. team are well corresponding with the research of the German Bonn University Hospital taking into account that the German research came out on April 9th and the American one on April 14th, with the reasonable assumption that the spread of SARS-CoV-2 in the German city of Ganglit began at least two weeks earlier, February 15, 2020, than the American Santa Clara. The U.S. researchers estimated that under the three scenarios for test performance characteristics, the population prevalence of COVID-19 in Santa Clara ranged from 2.49% to 4.16%. These prevalence estimates represent a range between 48,000 and 81,000 people infected in Santa Clara County by early April, 50 to 85-fold more than the number of confirmed cases. Okay, you get that? Now, remember, the confirmed cases mean nothing, but these antibody cases, you just use that as a benchmark. The antibody test, after the fact, they're saying 50 to 85-fold more than these confirmed cases. Conclusions. The population prevalence of SARS-CoV-2 antibodies in Santa Clara, Santa Clara County implies that the infection is much more widespread than indicated by the number of confirmed cases. Population prevalence estimates can now be used to calibrate epi epidemic mortality projections. Okay. Another good takeaway from that is this, is that tons and tons and tons of people okay, do have COVID. It's not deadly, and then they already have natural immunity. But the lie you're going to hear as this morphs as time goes on is that no, 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 you still need, you're still going to need Bill Gates' a radical new vaccine that's going to alter your DNA. Okay, and I've said it before and I'll say it again: when that vaccine comes out, there's at least three companies working on it. When that vaccine comes out, mark my words, far more people are going to be injured and die from that vaccine. Than through this than through this virus far more. Getting back to this article in this survey, we demonstrated the researchers, the researchers and approaches of about 100 eminent scientists from around the world, 
generally agree that the current statistical data does not reflect the actual state of affairs, and the publicly distributed media estimates of the mortality rate are at least incorrect and do not correspond to the actual picture. That's another statement. The actual number of people with SARS-CoV-2 infection or people that already passed through COVID-19-only stage without symptoms is several dozen times higher than the public number show. This is primarily due to the approaches and scope of testing. The public numbers have little to do with science. This is, to a greater extent, either media or politically motivated data. You should also consider the factor of a special picture of the course of disease, which affects medical statistics. Accordingly, the real mortality rate from SARS-CoV-2 is 25 to 60 times less than the figures presented, us, presented to us by the mainstream media and a number of governments. Did you catch that? Accordingly, the real mortality rate from SARS-CoV-2 is 25 to 60 times less than the figures presented to us by the mainstream media and a number of governments. The number of people with SARS-CoV-2 virus but without the COVID-19 disease or with a mild form of disease, according to various estimates, ranges from 85 to 95 percent. This group, as a rule, does not fall into official statistics as it is not tested, not hospitalized, and does not seek medical help. The negative consequences for life and health of people from ill-conceived social measures can at times surpass the threat posed by SARS-CoV-2. There has been a significant increase in mortality from diseases unrelated to SARS-CoV-2 already. Countries whose leadership works closely with scientists consistently and quickly responds to change in the situation and the emergence of new data will receive a, new advantage, a huge advantage in the post-COVID-19 world, except the governments want to have created this crisis to destroy what's left of our liberties and move us towards a one more government. I mentioned this already, the number of fatalities is largely inflated and that the vast majority of those reported dead due to the coronavirus had one or more serious pre-existing conditions. I mentioned the rate in Italy, well over 80% of those deceased declared to have died from COVID had suffered from at least two or more chronic diseases. To date, the seasonal flu has been more deadly than the coronavirus, and the government has never instituted draconian measures, including the evil of preventing people from working and suspending our liberty to assemble in and outside the church. To date, the seasonal flu has been more deadly than the coronavirus, and the government has never instituted draconian measures, including the evil of preventing people from working, suspending our liberty to assemble in and outside the work. I've seen, I've seen uh, mainstream sources. I think I, I went to. Uh, what was that? Uh, was Bill Buckley's uh, Bill Buckley's National Review? Okay, what he did. He he was good CIA. He was he was good CIA. Uh, uh, good CIA. Uh, I wouldn't say agent. Uh, he was good CIA asset. Bill Buckley, National Review, and uh, they were saying, oh no, people on the people on the right who were saying, you know, the regular flu was more deadly are completely wrong. No, 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 no. When you realize. Tons and tons and tons of more people are infected, and they've pumped up. They've 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 totally exaggerated the number of people who actually died from COVID. No, it's not. It's not. And you could argue, incidentally, that the CDC does amp up the regular flu deaths too. But again, taking that at face value, no, it's it's, it's less it's less lethal to date. Do you remember how a lot of this when uh, when uh, they were creating this crisis early on, and they were talking about, I think this occurred in New York State, they brought in the Army Corps of Engineers to basically take over dormitories at certain places. I think it was outside New, New, Rochelle, New Rochelle, New York, and maybe further upstate, 
and uh, they said we're going to need the hospital beds and you know and then uh president trump acted like a dictator to just basically expropriate really steal uh steal <laughs> respirators from private companies and attempt to coerce private companies to make respirators remember all that talk about we're going to there's going to be so many people that are going to that, that are going to need the respirators remember all that all that hype remember all that hype not too long ago okay what what are we hearing now what are, what are we hearing now what are we hearing now uh here's a piece mainstream piece uh, mainstream piece about doctors moving away from ventilators okay this is from the associated press april 8th this year some doctors moving away from ventilators for virus patients amazing some doctors moving away from ventilators for virus patients and why would that be since the president of the united states and governor andrew cuomo said we needed ventilators or people were going to die here's here's core from that app generally speaking 40 to 50 percent of patients with severe respiratory distress die while on ventilators experts say but 80% or more of coronavirus patients, and I would say alleged coronavirus patients, since they're all, since the vast majority that are that are dying are sick from other diseases, but 80% or more of coronavirus patients placed on the machines in New York City have died. State and city officials say higher than normal death rates have also been reported elsewhere in the U.S. Said Dr. Albert Rizzo, the American Lung Association's chief medical officer. Similar reports have emerged from China in the United Kingdom. One UK report put the figure at 66%. A very small study in Wuhan, the Chinese city where the disease first emerged, said 86% died. So that, that's pretty amazing from mainstream government media source, Associated Press. Generally speaking, 40 to 50% of patients with severe respiratory distress die while on ventilators, experts say. But 80% or more of coronavirus patients placed on the machines in New York City have died. So, could be twice, could be twice the amount, twice the rate of those who are dying. Yet, they need these respirators. The point of the article again is some doctors are moving away from ventilators. I'm going to play. I'm going to play one more video before I wrap up the show, and this is from an independent researcher. James Corbett, if you're familiar with the CorbettReport.com, I would commend that to you. You can find the site CorbettReport.com. You can find that. Don't use Google. Use DuckDuckGo.com or StartPage.com. This is from his New World or uh, uh, <laughs> New World Next Week. Normally does a weekly show uh, with another uh, another independent media person. And here James Corbett is going to talk about part of this PSYOP, and how, again, remember how I started the show, Ron LeBull and Manuel never let a good crisis go to waste. This has been manufactured. Listen to James Corbett. You said that. 
let us put on record the mitigated part of this good news story, which is that the ventilators are, in fact, actually killing more people than they are helping. Um, and this is the part that is finally coming out. It's like, oh, we need a bajillion ventilators because everyone's going to die. And now they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be using ventilators because they're killing people. Uh, even, even the mainstream has picked up on this. Uh, this from AP a few weeks ago now. Some doctors moving away from ventilators for virus patients, which notes that uh, as health officials around the world push to get more ventilators to treat coronavirus patients, some doctors are moving away from using the breathing machines when they can. The reason, some hospitals have reported unusually high death rates for coronavirus patients on ventilators, and some doctors worried that the machines could be harming certain patients. Mechanical ventilators push oxygen into patients whose lungs are failing. Using the machines involves sedating a patient and sticking a tube into the throat. Deaths in such sick patients are common, no matter what the reason they need the breathing help. Generally speaking, 40 to 50% of patients with severe respiratory distress die while on ventilators, experts say. But 80% or more of coronavirus patients placed on the machines in New York City have died, state and city officials say. So long story short, the whole ventilator thing, which was a whole, let's cast our mind back, low those many weeks ago, to justify the lockdown and ever, all the craziness that's going on now, remember, it was the big push, the bajillions of people that were going to be flooding the hospitals, and we don't have enough ICU beds and ventilators to take care of them all. That's why we all have to lock you in your homes as prisoners and shut down the world economy. That's the reason, in order to flatten the curve to make sure that that rush of patients doesn't happen so we don't overwhelm the ventilators. A, the ventilators are killing people, and B... Uh, the, the, we, we have flattened the curve. Look, it's, it's flattened out now. But now, now it's not about flattening the curve. Now it's about getting down to zero. Once, once coronavirus gets down to zero in the population, then maybe we'll let you out of your homes. So they keep moving the goalposts. Anyways, sorry to rain on the good news parade. You're right. The open source production. James Corbett, Corbett, CorbettReport.com. James has been doing this for years. He does a fine job using open resource data to explain what is really going on in the world. Uh, this is a manufactured crisis, no mistake about that. Uh, in China, under Mao Zedong, they had the Cultural Revolution. They haven't started killing people in the States, not quite yet. Um, that could come in the future. That could easily be forcible vaccination uh, easily. That, that could easily uh, occur in this climate. And uh, they could easily uh, round up people. You could take any stadium incidentally. You know, where, uh, you know, where, where would the camps be? You know, where, 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 would they, where, where would the FEMA where would the FEMA camps be? And you just take a stadium like the Superdome, have people with guns and roll people in. There you got, there you got a FEMA camp. And right now, of course, they're not using the stadiums for any uh, football games or any other games, and they won't be for quite some time. So uh, this is uh, what we're experiencing in the United States. Uh, this is a radical social transformation. This is a military uh, intelligence operation based upon the American people. It's targeted the American people. It's a psyop or a psychological operation. Uh, the crisis is not real. Uh, I demonstrated the numbers tonight. The crisis is not real. They are destroying what's left of our liberties. I'll quote from a very radical document of the United States Constitution. First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press 
or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. It's all gone. It's all gone. It's gone. State constitutions, I haven't read all, every state constitution, but I could read a constitution state that I live in, in the great state of, uh, of North Carolina. So very clear, the beginning of the North Carolina Constitution, the Article One Declaration of Rights, that the great general and essential principles of liberty and free government may be recognized and established, and that the relations of this state to the Union government of the United States and those of the people of the state to the rest of the American people may be defined and affirmed. We do declare that. Number, and we'll skip down to... Uh, Representation of taxation. Oh, yeah. Section 12, Article 1. Okay. This is uh, Article 1, Section 12 of the North Carolina Constitution. Right of assembly and petition. The people have a right to assemble together to consult for the common good, to instruct the representatives, and to apply to the General Assembly for redress of grievances. But secret. Political societies are dangerous to liberties or free people and shall not be tolerated. Religious liberty, section 13. All persons have a mutual and inalienable, that's a great word, all persons have a natural and inalienable right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own conscience. And no human authority shall in any case whatever control interfere with the rights of conscience. Well, my conscience tells me that a New Testament assembly the New Testament Church is an assembly, and if I'm pro, I should be doing that. And if the government tells me I can't, that's tyranny. That's tyranny. The North Carolina Constitution makes it very clear about suspending these laws. All power under Section Seven, all power of suspending laws or the execution of laws by any authority, without the consent of the representatives of the people, is injurious to their rights and shall not be exercised. So that's why in the great state of North Carolina, we have the next governor, Dan Forrest. And uh, Dan Forrest is a professing believer in the Lord Jesus. And uh, he's not pointing out that, according to the North Carolina Constitution, Governor Cooper's proclamation was illegal because the Constitution is the highest law to land in this state. And regardless of what the emergency is, Governor has no right to do that. Just like at the federal level, there's no which, there's no off switch to the federal constitution. So for President Trump to make any assertion apart from expropriating property to declare an emergency that people can't go outside or should go outside or get closer than six feet to one another or assemble, no authority for that in the constitution. There's no, and incidentally, there's nothing in the constitution about health. The federal government, that's not one of the uh, delegated power. That's not one. That's not one, one of the enumerated powers. Congress has no ability. Congress makes the laws, not the executive branch or the judicial branch. Though we've strayed so far from that, but in any case, it's not one of the enumerated powers. There's never any. There's never any power of the federal government over health, anyhow. So, this is a this is a massive cultural shift we're seeing. They're destroying before our eyes. We're living through. The destruction was less left over liberties. We're moving rapidly into a high-tech police state. The agenda is going to be, as James Corbett said, zero. They're going to say, we're not going to be safe unless there's no coronavirus cases. Okay. So, how do you do that? Well, 
he could just kill everyone outright. Bill Gates is all about that. If you think I'm exaggerating, just uh, find his TED Talk about uh, global warming, about climate control. When he says in his voice that we have to get one of these numbers down to zero, and one of those numbers includes people. So he's all about, yeah, he's all about depopulation. Their god is death. It's depopulation. That's their god. So how do we get down to zero? Well, the goal is going to be they'll probably roll out mandatory testing. And again, if it's that PCR test, as I demonstrated conclusively, that's trash. That means nothing. And there'll be mandatory vaccines. And tons of us already have natural immunity as I speak tonight anyway. So what's the purpose of the vaccine? It's going to be to harm people and kill them. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at a high-tech police state. We're looking at massive, massive, massive injuries to people due to the vaccine that's going to be released. It's going to alter your DNA. Lots of people are going to die. I'd like to be wrong. I really would. I don't enjoy saying that. But you just have to see what Bill Gates is saying. There's tons of stuff out there if you want to do the research. You could type in, not on Google. Again, use DuckDuckGo or StartPage.com. Put in Bill Gates' mandatory vaccine. Put it in. It's there. He and Fauci have been in bed for quite some time. That's the agenda. That's the rolling out. Unless we the people stop it. Unless we the people stop it. It can still be done, especially if the conservative evangelical pastors realize that their, that their rights are being destroyed. But right now they're acting like vassals of states, similar to what happened under Hitler in Nazi Germany. No, I'm not saying Trump is Hitler, but I would agree with the founders that when any branch of government uh, assumes powers it shouldn't, that becomes tyranny. And that's been the case in the, state, in the United States, especially after World War II, as we've lived in the national security state. We've, uh, we the people have let the federal government uh, metastasize and grow to a horrific size and power. Listen to uh, listen to President Eisenhower's speech on the way out. After eight years of building up the military-industrial complex, right before he left office, he evidently it bothered him a little bit, and he gave a great speech warning about it. And he was basically saying that the power of the money. You're saying you could feel the power, the influence of the military-industrial complex in every community in America, in every community in the United States, meaning the power of the money, how the how the economy had been radically transformed after World War II. The United States never stopped fighting after World War II. Those military bases should have been decommissioned, but the United States never left any of those bases. So it's been empire. Ron Paul is one of the honest people who used to talk about that. He talked about empire. It's the U.S. empire. So what, what happens with empire then? You always need money. And then ultimately, what you do abroad, you do to your own people. So what the U.S. government as the U.S. military has acted in dictatorial fashion uh, abroad, yeah, that's, uh, that's in the process of happening more and more here in the States. That's what's happening. That's the game plan. I'll close with a statement by Ron Paul. When Ron Paul was running for president in 2008, I saw him once. He spoke at Duke University. And I remember the impression Ron Paul made on me, Dr. Paul. He is a literal medical doctor. And incidentally, he's also said, uh, using different facts, what I said tonight, that the coronavirus crisis is a hoax. Uh, He looked at, for example, something like tuberculosis, which is an infectious disease, and how many millions of people died from that. And uh, yeah, that hasn't transformed 
the United States and the high-tech police state, but this manufactured crisis did. But getting back to Ron Paul's statement at Duke University in 2008, he said, he, he said things I never heard uh, U.S. politicians say. Most times you hear politicians speak, they use a lot of words to say nothing, nothing of substance. But Ron Paul said this. He goes, if you gave me a choice to give up all my liberty, all my money, if I had to give one up, he said, I'd always say take all my money. He said, why? He said, because as long as I have my liberty, I could get the money back. However, what's extremely dangerous, and this is what he said in 2008, this is 2020 now. Said, but what's extremely dangerous is the time we're entering is that they're going to take our liberty away. And once our liberty is eradicated, the ability to make wealth is going to be gone. Make no mistake about it, this manufactured crisis happened after the stock market crashed. Okay? The economy was already going to tank, and any objective measures of what's going on shows this is going to be far, far worse than the so-called Great Depression. 1930s in the States. So at the very worst time when the United States people are the most vulnerable, they unleash the PSYOP and further destroy the economy. This is a wicked thing. And furthermore, I'd say one more thing about you know, the pastors failing, failing in their preaching and teaching responsibility in the States. God created work before there was sin. Okay? Work is good. The ground is cursed. The things don't work. We know that. You sweat. <laughs> Whether you're literally in the office or outside, things work. Things don't always work. But the idea that you have work, that you're able to be productive, is a gift from God. God created work before sin entered the world. It's so wicked then when human government was created after sin entered the world for then human government, any state, to say man can't work. This is horrible. And the pastors are silent. You've been listening to the KRP radio show, Keeping Real with your guest, Treat Me Real Pudgy Miller, with your guest host, Rocco P. Lord willing, I will be back next month and the last Friday of the month in May is the 29th. Thank you for listening to KIRP Radio Show. Once again, I thank Pudgy Miller for giving the opportunity, giving me the opportunity to use his form. Uh, have a good night and fight tyranny. KIRP Radio!